This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Good morning and welcome to this mad post-election show. Well, yesterday was cool, pretty much in Johannesburg. I hear it was raining in Cape Town, but people turned out in their droves to vote. And the results are not part of this show, but should be interesting couple of weeks, months ahead as we settle down into the new sort of elected environment. Let's hope it all goes well for the RAND, goes well for gadgets and gizmos and keeps us all happy. But anyway, moving on to uh, an interesting scam that is going on and something that we need to be aware of. And it's called the MTN VIP number scam. I mean, there just seems to be no end to people's ability to get scammed over nonsense. And this really is. I mean, it does make sense. I was lucky. My wife and I got our own numbers. We got the same number except 082 and 083 back many years ago when cell phones were still a bit of a novelty. But generally, there are sort of some auspicious numbers and numbers that people are really keen to get their hands on. But would you be prepared to pay 20,000 Rand for such a number? I suppose, well, I wouldn't. Very few people I know would, but I suppose there are people out there who would pay that sort of money or have got that sort of money for it. The problem is that there's been a bunch of people running around offering these numbers uh, for special, that either offer you a special SIM, sort of VIP SIM, or the ability to connect a um, VIP number or select a VIP number. And simply put, if you're one of those guys who's dead set and getting a really cool number, if someone from MTN purporting to be an MTN employee pops into your radar and says, guys, we can help you with such a SIM, please just be aware that in most cases they might sell you a SIM, they might get you to sign documents. Simple fact is it's a scam and there will be nobody to connect that number. And when you try to go to MTN and ask them for help, all they can say is, sorry, you've been scammed out of all your money trying to get that cool number. It's just a crazy thing, but unfortunately these are on the rise, these sort of scams and things around the internet are on the rise. And what I think you should do if if you do get any calls or any notification of such a thing, just call MTN's customer care. They've got a fraud or mail them on their fraud desk. It's called CRF Fraud Queries. MTN, do a little bit better than that. CRF Fraud Queries at MTN.com and let them know what's going on. And hopefully you won't get yourself caught with a whole lot of uh, useless SIMs or useless numbers that you were dead keen on getting. But anyway, some, you know, Scams just just never stop. And some other interesting news that came, you know, came onto the wires over the last couple of little while has been the whole Apple Qualcomm settlement. Now, some, a lot of people probably wouldn't have known because big tech companies, suing big tech companies has become a big thing over the years. And you hear about it here and you hear about it there. But there's been a serious spat if you want to call it that, between Qualcomm and Apple for a number of years now. Apple maintained that Qualcomm are charging too much for patents that they own. Now, Qualcomm are the guys who make and create the chips that run the vast majority of cell phones in the world, from the good old days of old 2G, you know, GSM cell phones, all the way to the latest 5G cell phones. Qualcomm have been at the forefront of not only manufacturing the chips and the radio sets, this is what's so key, the actual radio sets that control the radio, 
um, of all these various network uh, mobile devices. And up to now, Apple have been using them pretty much exclusively for their radios. They make their own processors. So that's interesting. They're competitors of Qualcomm's on the processor, but they use Qualcomm modems or radio chipsets to control the radios. Since the spat happened, it helped Intel no end. And Intel um, actually supplied most of the chipsets for the latest version, the XR, the XS, and the XS Max for Apple. Well, anyway, with the advent of 5G coming, and I think Intel were not doing the right job, Apple had a little bit of a, a challenge. So they went back to Qualcomm, and right on the eve of one of their big lawsuits where they were suing each other for tons and tons of money, Apple and Qualcomm have settled, and it's a huge, huge settlement. Apple are going to pay Qualcomm $4.5 billion minimum to settle the whole patent matter. And much to Intel's surprise, once that was done, they realized they were out of the game because part of the settlement is that the two companies would be using uh, and Qualcomm would be assisting Apple with their next-generation mobile devices starting this year probably and moving all the way uh, into the 5G stuff for next year. So huge blow for Intel. And Intel, in fact, told, you know, gave the market an indication that they're going to be shutting the entire in, uh, modem business down because without a major customer like Apple, the amount of resources and the amount of money they would have to spend to try to match Qualcomm and two other massive players in the market. And that is Samsung and Huawei. They're also doing enormous amounts of, um, development of new 4G and 5G chipsets. So it just became a, a, a role of three companies running running this super lucrative and super big market. Because right now, 5G modems might be very small, but over the next three to four years, you'll find that the vast majority of smartphones being sold on the market will include a 5G modem. And uh, by 2021, there's absolutely no doubt that the big three you know, Huawei, Samsung, and uh, Qualcomm, with Qualcomm being the biggest of the big three by a huge margin, will will uh, rule the show. And Apple just could not afford to fall behind the big, big guys. Right now, the top guys are Samsung, um, Huawei, and then Apple in that order globally. <laughs> and my phone is listening to me again. Can you believe this? They just do not stop listening. And that was a Samsung phone that was listening to me, not the Apple one, which I haven't even mentioned recently. Well, I've mentioned lots about Apple, but somehow uh, our dear friend Siri is keeping quiet. So there's just a huge, huge change going on in the mobile space. Expect Qualcomm to do extremely well and expect, although there's a Samsung 5G phone coming out this year, LG have released their, their phone this year, and I have no doubt that Huawei will be releasing a 5G version of its Mate 30 Pro when it comes in August, September of this year as well. So expect a lot of 5G phones available on the market, you know, whether you can use them in South Africa, though, we will be able to use them in South Africa by 2020. So 5G is going to be a big deal, and Qualcomm and Apple are definitely not going to allow each other to fight about who's in charge of that stuff. So $4.5 billion to to uh, Qualcomm is actually small change because Apple are sitting with around about $225 billion of cash on hand. So it's significant, and it removed another huge story um, in the tech industry, far less people suing other people. Remember, uh, Samsung 
And Apple had a, a long spat for many, many years, and they seem to have settled that. So watch out for all the new Apple 5G phones. The Apple fans will be super happy about that. And now before we take our little break for our sponsors, I just wanted to mention something that a lot of guys are talking about. Obviously, Game of Thrones' eighth season is halfway through. Uh, not the greatest episode in my estimation, the fourth one, which we've just watched. So let's see where it goes. Only two to go, much to the uh, regret, or not even regret, to the sadness of, of the key sort of Game of Thrones fans. But um, George R.R. R. Martin has sort of let out a little hint for you, for those of you who hadn't heard this. Uh, I actually hadn't, which is quite interesting. But for many of the fans of the whole Game of Thrones franchise, it'll really, I mean, it's been going for eight years, eight years, which is incredible. It's just crazy how long it's been running. But anyway, on his official blog, he has said that he may, and I don't think he will finish this current th- series, um, but he's moving along with five other side series. And his words were moving along quite nicely. So we should see quite a few interesting spin-offs, some set a couple of thousand years behind this one, a couple with a couple of the characters moving along directly from this one. So all you Game of Thrones enthusiasts out there, don't you worry. There's going to be, over the next couple of years, a whole host of spin-offs, prequels and sequels and you name it. It's just too good for the television industry to to let go of. But let's see. Uh, let's see how this one ends and uh, let's see how all the spin-offs go. And we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. And now we are going into Tech Talk Cafe. I don't have any interviews this week, which is quite interesting, but with all these holidays and Voting. It's been quite difficult to pin people down. I think everyone's rather busy trying to just keep the lights on. Let's hope they stay on tomorrow because uh, there's all these dire warnings about how the power is not going to keep up despite government's protestations otherwise. But let's hope it does stay. I think that um, it's too important. They realize the importance of this and ESCOM will keep us powered up for the foreseeable future. Anyway, on that note, there are two huge events that happened this week, and I felt that we should discuss them both because both of them are players that have an, a massive effect on what we do with our computers, with our lives. They've really changed society completely over the last 30 to 40 years. And two of the main players in the, I hate this word, fourth industrial revolution, but Two of the main players in the digital revolution that is sweeping across the world, changing the way we interact, changing the way we do business, changing the way we do everything, um, are Microsoft and Google. And Microsoft had their build conference, their developer conference last week, or this week, I think it was this week. Anyway, I'm losing track with all these midweek holidays. But anyway... At the Build conference, they highlighted to the developer community all the latest changes that they're making to the Microsoft technology ecosystem. What was really interesting is that Windows normally is front and center of the whole um, Build conference because everything was about writing apps for Windows. Windows was their desktop program. Windows was just everywhere, as they called it. And this time, it was all about Azure. Now, Azure is their cloud computing platform, something that 
companies in South Africa, they've just recently opened up two massive Azure data centers in South Africa. And what that does, it brings the web, the internet, and their computing power, these massive data center computing power technologies, very much closer to all the developers and operators and users in South Africa. So right now, for example, if you needed to, well, in the past, if you needed to do something on the Azure platform, depending on where you connected to, it was between 180 and 360 milliseconds delay before you got any response, before anything came to you. Whereas now, with the data center sitting in Durban, uh, Joburg and Cape Town, I don't know where Durban popped out, but anyway, sitting in Joburg and Cape Town, you're talking about a couple of milliseconds, three to five to ten milliseconds for a response, which is a massive order of magnitude. And apart from all the security and data safety and all sorts of other regulatory type environments, the simple effect on um, sheer speed and accessibility of all these Azure data centers being in uh, South Africa really does change the game for many people. But we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But the other big, big player in the Internet, the one that you just cannot miss, I mean, Google it has almost become a verb. If you want to know anything, you just Google it. That was the other major, major developer conference that was happening um, this week in in America, and at that developer conference, a whole host of new updated services. Obviously, Android, which is the which is Google's own operating system for mobile devices and many other types of mobile type devices, uh, was discussed at length. But a whole lot of other changes coming to search, coming to Google itself, and lots and lots of other technological changes that are going to impact you and I in a significant way. One of the major, and I'll, I'll, I'll jump to that, there were a whole host of other things that were announced, but essentially uh, Sundar, Sundar Pichai, he's the uh, Google CEO, took to the stage, and unlike the conference which we spoke about last week, which is um, the Facebook conference, where they were all about privacy and changing things around, he didn't talk much about it, but obviously the stuff that Google knows about you is pretty insane. If you think Facebook have got a monopoly on on knowing what your likes and dislikes and all the rest are, you have no idea how much data that Google um, has on you, especially if, well, not even. If you've got an Android phone or an Apple phone, they do collect a huge amount of data. But what he was talking about is they really want to be the company that has the answers to absolutely everything that you need to get done. Whether you want to navigate, whether you want to operate your business, doesn't matter what you want to do. What they really want to become is the background operating system for your life, which is something that you just need to think about. Because imagine having a massive company like Google running absolutely every part of your life, from your social media to your email to your business Everything, wherever you go, they're there and doing stuff. And what they're hoping is that by making all these services so easy, so intuitive, so capable is the right word, that you don't even mind all the information you share. You don't mind having them intrusively or non-intrusively involved in your life at every single level, at every single layer. I mean, how many people... Just use ways simply to avoid traffic. You might know exactly where you're going. You might understand exactly where you're going. You're not lost. You're just going to work. You've been doing it for the last couple of years. 
But you still stick on ways when you get in the car first thing in the morning. Why? Because there might be a roadblock, there might be an accident, there might be a delay. Who knows? Ways knows. And that is just a service you cannot even begin to understand. And whether you use Google Maps, which has very much of the Waze type, um, and by the way, Waze is owned by Google. It has a certain social media layer over it, but Google Maps is the underlying basis, and a lot of the functionality between Google Maps and Waze have become very, very similar. But simply put, that is one service that we really, really don't even think about using. You don't even realize that a record of all your trips is recorded by um Google, what they have done, and it was one little swipe, which they announced prior to their conference, is that they have made it far easier for you. You can now set in your Google settings when you log in that all data older than three months or a year is forgotten, gone, dusted, done. So they only retain a minimum amount of data to be able to make their services better and more uh, useful to you. One of the other things they announced was, and this is something we don't see in South Africa, unfortunately, is a cheaper Pixel phone for everybody. Now, the Pixel range of phones was Google's holistic constructed phone from the ground up. In other words, like Apple do, they don't, they make it, they actually bought HTC, which is the company they use to make these phones. So they make the phones, they create the Android operating system. And for a while, interestingly, the Pixel 3 range um, has had probably the best camera. And the reason it's had the best camera is not so much the optics, because there are a lot of cameras out there on smartphones that have exceptional optics with Zeiss and Leica and you name it. Um, it was actually in the software. And every review you read about the new Pixel 3 phone says it probably has the finest night and day camera on the market right now, as good as the best and um, significantly, in some cases, cheaper than some of the competitors from Samsung and Apple. Well, they've launched at the conference a brand new Pixel 3a and uh, a, a 3a extra large, which are going to be around about seven to 10,000 rand in South African terms, 399 to $479 in US money. And um, they have exactly the same camera as the um, device, as the, the Pixel 3, which is quite, quite a feat. And everybody who reported back from the conference said that this is probably the best bargain in smartphones because there's very few compromises. I think it's made of plastic rather than metal. But other than that, top-notch screen, clean Android install, and probably the best cameras on the planet for a lot less money than the other competitors. And what they also released in the hardware space is the Google Smart Screen Home Device. With It used to not have a camera, but now they've added a camera, and it can dis, and it can double as a Nest security system. Again, these are not things that we're seeing outside of the US. I've seen them all over Europe, so hopefully they'll come here. But essentially, uh, home security and home speakers, like the, the Alexa speakers from Amazon, the Google smart speakers have become a huge way to interact with um, with your computers, with your life, do your shopping, ask stuff using your voice. And essentially, um, the camera also turns the Maxis screen into a video chatting device using Google's Duo app. So having this sort of device in your home, not only can it play music on command, 
operate your lighting, control all sorts of interesting stuff in the home. And this is an area, again, South Africa is lagging significantly behind what's going on in, in, in the U.S. and Europe and most parts of the East, is that you're finding that smart homes, in truth, are becoming super smart. There's a speaker and a, and a little receiver device in every room. You can turn the lights on. You can set the lighting tone. You can open the curtains. You can switch on the TV. You can turn on the cooker. You can check what's in the fridge. You can open your front door. You can close your front door. You can warm up your car all by speaking to a device in your home. And that is pretty, pretty, pretty futuristic. But actually happening right now. So let's hope that we see some of these devices coming to South Africa on the mainstream. Fiber is going everywhere. And we certainly are seeing more and more of these devices becoming mainstream across the world. Amazon at the moment using their Alexa uh, app is by far, I think 65% of the smart speakers sold are Alexa Amazon speakers. And that allows you to shop, you must see. You can just talk to Alexa, tell it what you want, and Amazon will deliver it. Tremendous integration, really smart. And in fact, they do Alexa special. So if you order things through Alexa, you get better prices than if you go online or even using mobile. So it looks like voice is becoming quite the next frontier of, of computer assistance. And this is where it gets super interesting. Google also announced that over the next couple of months, their ubiquitous Google Assistant. If you've got a Google phone, any form of Android-based phone, you'll find by holding down on the home button, up pops Google Assistant. And it's pretty, pretty good. In South Africa, it's not bad. In America and Europe and other places where Google has their own data centers, it's incredible. Back to latency, 360 milliseconds to get an answer from an American server or 5 milliseconds from a South African server. Big difference. Half a second for someone to answer you is, a, is too much of a delay. So if you ask Google Assistant in the U.S. for anything, it's actually quicker than typing. Ask it the time, ask it the weather, ask it to find something, tell it to navigate. All that stuff is possible right now. But what they demonstrated at their new, uh, at their, the developers conference is that the AI assistant working on the Google or, or using or presenting the Google assistant is going to become 10 times faster than it was in the past and a lot smarter. And one of the ways they did that is to ask a series of questions one after the other. Normally, all you do is say, okay, Google, and hopefully all your phones are now switching on. Yep, all of them on my desk are switching on and asking me stuff. All you need to say is, okay, Google, and then ask a couple of queries. Hi, what's the weather? And what they did is they showed that instead of simply doing one discrete one after another, they just asked a whole, there you go. It's <laughs> I must turn off all these gizmos when I do this show. It's crazy. But anyway, what they did is they asked a series of questions, one after the other, one after the other. Do this, do that, do the following, open this, order this, change this, fix that, do this on the phone. And without a flaw, the Google Assistant followed all those instructions in a much more natural way that really is pretty, pretty, pretty scary. So soon, using the whole Google Assistant methodology, and it is definitely a trend that we're going to see more and more and more going forward, is that voice and the ability to converse naturally with your gadgets. Because right now, I mean, I've tried the new BMW 3 Series with its human interface. It's It's got canned responses. It's clever when it works, but you have to ask it very specific stuff, and then it responds really well. Siri and Google 
and Alexa are, are a lot better in some respects. Which one's the best is hard to tell on occasion. It's, I suppose it's the one you use and the one you have. But generally, they are all getting much more contextual. They, you know, you don't have to tell them what's the weather in Johannesburg or in Randburg right now. It knows where you are. It contextually figures out what you need to know within the context. You know, find me a restaurant nearby that you don't have to say where. And it'll pop up with a whole lot of interesting stuff. One of the big sort of advances is that they're moving a lot of the processing and intelligence because of the sheer power of the devices that we've got onto the devices, which cuts down on the lag and the delay tremendously. So it doesn't need to send much information up and down. It just needs to pick up certain bits of pieces that are not on the device itself. And that was part of the whole development cycle that they discussed, is that Google Assistant is going to become embedded within the device. You can actually use it without a connection, though it will be limited in some of its responses. So really, really the whole machine learning artificial intelligence ability of Google and its assistant is 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 moving along at a really, really fast pace and we're going to start seeing it obviously they're going to release to their pixel phones their own devices first which you may or may not see a couple of geeks i know have definitely bought or imported their own pixel phones and they're great not the prettiest but they certainly are functionally amazing and then from then on it will roll out to everybody else's android phone and you can use it on your your apple if you're keen but a little clunky because it's not natural and embedded, but I have no doubt with the Apple Developer Conference coming up shortly in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see a whole lot of stuff going on there. They also gave us a couple of hints on Android Q, which is the next generation of Android. That's Android 10, for those of you who like the numbers. And they're giving it a dark mode. There are going to be some really important things around digital well-being. They kept it really, really a little vague, though they did mention that they are going to optimize this version of Android for folding phones. So we're going to see a lot of folding phones, a lot of phones that, uh, you know, have got very different form factors to the current form factors that we're getting used to. And that'll be fully uh, sort of supported by the next version of Android Q, which shows that perhaps it's absolutely um, mainstream that we're going to see starting some innovative changes in the form factors of phones and the way that phones are put together. But it's just very, very, very interesting to see where all of this is going. Interfaces are changing. Um, form factors are going to change. Voice interaction is going to become a mainstream, mainstream manner or methodology of interacting with your technology. No more tapping away on keyboards. You'll simply speak and you'll be you know, be able to do anything, open things, phone people, change anything, get any information, all be read out to you. And that in and of itself will change the way that you interact with your gadgets. No more walking around looking at your screen. Of course, AR, which is augmented reality, in other words, overlaying sort of digital stuff on a, on a picture, that's tough. You can't walk down the, the street. They've tried this, but you can't really walk down the street with something overlaid on reality because you'll tend to bump into things. But where it becomes super useful is for education. We've seen some amazing apps in, in museums, for tourism. So there's just so many different ways to look at it. So stay tuned. Uh, Google are doing a whole host of really interesting stuff that is coming very, 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 very shortly. Now, I can see, unfortunately, we are running out of time really quickly. I just want to touch on Microsoft Build. Microsoft Build was far less 
uh, consumer focused and far more sort of back end focused. Microsoft have become one of the most uh, valuable companies in the world by simply owning the online and cloud space, if you want to call it that. Their whole um, Azure methodology, which has been going for the last couple of years, has definitely changed them considerably. Windows has become a service. It updates as a service. It's no longer Windows 10, whatever you want to call Windows. But Windows, at its core, is no longer the operating system that you know, stands heads and shoulders above everything. What it does, it simply allows connectivity into the web. And it's got to the point where, for example, and you're going to see that in the next couple of months, is that Microsoft, their Edge browser, which was their replacement for Internet Explorer, is actually being built on Chromium, which is the Chrome browser that's built by Google. At some point, well, at no point would anyone have believed that Microsoft and and Google would collaborate to build a browser for Windows based on the Chrome setup. And I've tried it. You can buy, you can download it as a beta if you're keen. And it works beautifully because it picks up everything that Chrome can do and adds a Windows sort of edge, uh, um, feel to it. So it integrates fully with Microsoft. It integrates fully with Google and you get perhaps the both, the best of both worlds. One of the other things that they talked about the conference is that just like Google, they want us to have conversations with our computers. So exactly like Star Trek, you just talk and the computers talk back to you. And they haven't given up. Cortana is definitely another uh, voice assistant that I haven't mentioned, but it's another one that competes with uh, Siri and all the other guys, or all the other ladies or men. It depends on where you are and how you set it up. But Cortana is still getting a massive upgrade. Part of the upgrade is the whole AI technology, and they call them semantic machines, which allows you to have amazing conversations. So expect to see much, much more from all the major companies talking about the amazing abilities of interaction by voice or whatever with their with their computers. And the way that we interact is going to change considerably. Now, I'm afraid we've run out of time. We're going to have to take a a quick break for our sponsors and I'll be back with some gizmos and gadgets and I'm going to just catch up on one or two other things that Microsoft are up to because I think they are a company that have faded into the background of of consumer consciousness but they do too many important things for us to ignore them in any way shape or form so we'll be back straight after this this is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM well, welcome back. And now we're talking about my gadgets and gizmos of the week. And they are both interestingly enough. I know we're moving into winter and it's the time that people tend to hibernate and wear layers of clothes and, you know, no beaches and not getting ripped for the summer. But health is really important. And the old adage goes, I mean, I'm making this adage up as we go, but the old adage goes that uh, what you do in winter determines your health in summer. So most of the northern hemisphere are moving into summer and a lot of interesting stuff gets released at that time just to try to capture sort of the the momentum of the the health resolutions for the summer. But Fitbit have released a whole new range of um, devices which are really, really, really cool and really, really well. I've used that word twice, really, really, but well-priced, which is interesting. The Fitbit Inspire, and I've been using the Inspire HR 
for the last couple of weeks. Got one to review. And uh, before that, I was using a Fitbit uh, Charge 3, which was a great device. But what I didn't like about the Charge 3 is that it's quite a big band. It's it's beautifully made. It's quite substantial. But for the most part, um, it was heavy. Not heavy. It was it was nice to wear, but it was pretty large. And I wanted something a little bit less noticeable. And along came the new Fitbit Inspire and the Fitbit Inspire HR. The difference between the two, apart from price, the Fitbit Inspire sells for around about 1299 and has all the basic tracking and everything that you would need to track your activity. Sleep tracking, calories burnt, um, lots of little features that really make it very, very useful. Uh, but it does not have the HR or the heart rate section. The Fitbit, the Fitbit Inspire HR is around about one triple nine, which is still very, very, very reasonable. Where they've cut a little bit of cost, where they've kept the cost down, is that it's plastic pretty much through and through, um, and the screen is not quite as high resolution as the Charge HR. But it has pretty much the same and some of the latest functionality. It can auto-track your runs. It can auto-track your your activities. It tracks your heart rate. It tracks everything that you need to track. And in combination with the app, the uh, Fitbit app, you can pretty much handle everything. What I really, really do enjoy about the Fitbit app is that you can track your calories. They've got a massive food database that is very, very accurate and very similar to South Africa, and this is where it gets clever. Based on your activity, your calorie goals change. So you can see how many calories you've eaten, how many calories you've got left. You can set your goals to lose weight, gain weight, and I've just found that super, super useful. And why I wear, and this is the geek in me talking, why I wear something like a Fitbit Inspire or the Charge 3 as well as an Apple Watch on a daily basis, so I look double-banded at most cases, but the reason I do that is that I find an unobtrusive, lightweight, and easy-to-wear device like the Fitbit, Fitbit Inspire HR. You can sleep with it. It's got four- to five-day battery life. Generally, depending on what you do, depending on how often you use the additional features, it is obviously will do notifications pretty much like a smartwatch. And for the most part, you can use it as sort of a smart companion to your watch um, to your phone. So it works with Android, it works with iOS, it doesn't matter which phone you've got, you'll get notifications on the screen, it'll buzz you um, and give you that sort of information, which is really useful. But as I said, the screen is slightly smaller than the Charge HR, significantly smaller and um, perhaps not as informative. But overall, I must say that I found it to be pretty accurate. There's been a lot of talk recently about uh, marathon runners replying, uh, relying on their, their Fitbits and even their garments to track their runs. And when they get to the actual marathons, which are externally tracked, they've found they've not done enough kilometers. But generally, for all the running that I've been doing and all the gym that I've been going to, and even running internally on a treadmill, I found it to be pretty accurate. And it definitely does. Every hour it warns you to go for a walk. It tells you it's time to get up and move. And wearing a Fitbit tracker or any form of health tracker really does motivate you and get you into the gym a little bit more. What's cool about the app is that you can share it with friends, you can create a little group, you can do all sorts of interesting stuff to motivate each other. And there's no question that health health tracked is health managed and it does make 
a huge, huge, huge difference. The quality of the band is as good as anything that Fitbit have ever done. The construction quality of the device is great. What's nice about the new Fitbit Inspire and the Inspire HR is they are waterproof. Not uh, fully waterproof. I don't know if you can – I think you can actually go swimming with them, which is quite interesting. But they really do um, – they do work quite well. You can shower – Unlike the old Ulta, which wasn't waterproof at all, you could, it was water resistant, but that makes a big difference. They've also got a whole lot of other informative stuff that comes with the app, the cardio fitness level, which I really found by using it. And I'll talk about my next uh, health gizmo gadget that I've been, you know, working out with and running with. But understanding your cardio fitness level, which is part of the, uh, the, the, the reporting part of the app that you get or that you can use with the, the Fitbit um, Inspire really does help you to plan and to work and how to improve your cardio fitness levels. And I also found it was really useful. And this is, again, something that worked really well with my next gadget that I'm going to talk about. And that uh, is the um, the Hover from uh under armor, their shoes, interestingly, and I spoke about them on the air, on air as well, the shoes with the sensor. But the real-time pace and distance that you can get out of the, the HR, and if it's connected to your phone's GPS, that's the only little drawback. You generally need to take a phone along to work it. And it, it actually, I've not found it to be a problem, but I'm not an ultra-long-distance runner, so it doesn't really bother me to have a phone either in my pocket or strapped to my wrist or wherever it is on my arm. Um, so generally, those things make this quite a complete and properly useful device. So if you're in the market for a sort of health tracker and one that has tremendous, uh, you know, information, great app, there are a couple of others out there, and I've used a whole lot of them. But I must say, Fitbit certainly do own the space with regard to its integration with Discovery. So you get all the heart rate points. You get all the running and walking points should you need it. With its its app is one of the nicest and easiest to use, most informative, lots of activity uh, advice and information. And it just makes a big difference to be able to know what you're doing from a from an activity point of view and how that and if you do use the food side of it to track what you eat it's really really interesting you know one a couple of ice creams and a chocolate bar or a hamburger here or there you can see the effect immediately on the amount of calories that you consume and the amount of calories that you burn and it's almost impossible to run off a couple of big macs so <laughs> it's it's quite it's just the amount of information that you get from these various devices. But overall, really light, easy to use, well-built, and exceptionally well-priced. At 1999, there are not many bands out there that offer the same amount of versatility, the same quality, and the same um, ability to check your heart rate and inform you in quite the same way and link to all the various external platforms like Discovery. So if you're looking for a... Um, a monitor. If you're not interested in your heart rate, they've got the Inspire, which as I said is around about 1299, which is pretty reasonable. And the Inspire HR, which is 1999, which is a little bit more expensive, but certainly um, one of the better sort of activity tracking accessories. The other, um, it's hard, to, I'm a little bit at a loss of words. Um, it's hard to describe it as a gadget, but 
We're moving into the world of IoT. We're moving into the world of connected things and the amount of information that are coming from those things. And I'm a reluctant runner. I'm not a runner that really loves to go out on a Sunday morning or Saturday morning for that matter um, and, you know, do a, a quick 10 or 15 or 20 Ks just to get the blood flowing. I pound out the the Discovery 5K um, park run just because one, I need the points and two, it's good for you to, you know, it's good for your health to get some running. But what I, um, was given a pair of is a pair is some Under Armour UA Hover, H-O-V-R Phantom shoes. And these are neutral shoes for, you know, an average runner. Um, what is key about these shoes? They're digitally connected. They've got a UA record sensor. And this little technology tracks and analyzes, and here's where it gets really smart, stores almost every running metric that you need so you know exactly what you need to do to improve your run. So you don't need to connect it to a – you do need to connect it to your phone, and for that you use an app called Map My Run, and that is pretty useful. So as, as I said, I'm a long-distance runner, so taking a phone with me it's not a problem. It's great for it – you know, to use the GPS to track everything that you need. And these shoes themselves, they're not, they're not inexpensive. They retail for around about 2,900 Rand. But what's cool about the sensor built in is that sensor itself doesn't need to be charged or batteries never need to be replaced. It's actually pretty, pretty amazing. It just should last from what I've, what I've been told by Under Armour, it should last the life of your shoes. The average running shoe should give you 700 to 800 kilometers before they need to be replaced. And depending on your running habits, for me, that can take a couple of years. But for most people, a year or two in a pair of running shoes is more than enough. And the battery in the sensor should last that entire period. And um, the actual shoe itself, I must say, uh, I've been using other other brands up to now. And although they don't have the sort of uh, energy return system of some other shoes out there. What I did find that it took about two to three good runs to break the shoe in. It was a little tight to start. It felt a little bit uncomfortable in the beginning. So like any running shoe, take a little bit of time to break it in before you really hit the road. But once settled in, once I'd run that shoe in, around about 20, 30 Ks worth of running, it's really very stable very comfortable, and don't worry about the size. What I found it was very tight to start, but it loosened up quite nicely as I ran it in. And essentially, the the sort of they've got something called a stretch walk knit upper. And and what I did find is based on the the way that the shoe is constructed and the the way that the upper with a slight sleeve like around the ankle build definitely is gr- good for more uneven like park runs. Not ideal for park runs because the sole's not great on loose gravel and and sand and wet leaves. But generally, for most normal sort of street running, I found it to be an extremely uh, comfortable, up to 10 kilometers, no problem shoe. But the key and the thing that I want to talk about is the Map My Run uh, app, which is good as any other running app that I've used. And obviously, it tells you your pace. It gives you all the information you need to... Um, to track what you're doing. But what's key is the data that comes from the shoe, which syncs automatically. So if you leave your phone at home, go for a run, come back, sync, sync back to the app. It'll give all the information you need in terms of pace. 
in terms of stride, in terms of, of cadence, everything that you need to know. And if you've got your Fitbit, it'll even link and give you your heart rate. So all these, these gadgets are, are absolutely amazing at making you aware of how you run, where you run, what you run, your pace, your stride. And what's cool about the app, it does give you, takes you through when you start, it takes you through a little warm up, three minutes of high intensity, three minutes of low intensity to get you warmed up for your run. So if you're, if you're a, a, an experienced runner, you've probably got a lot of these tools under your belt. But if you're like me, you're a bit of a novice, someone that, um, really runs for fitness or health rather than for the joys of, of spending hours on the road pounding it out there, then all these tools actually make a big difference because it's hard to start running. It's hard to get going. And a really good supportive shoe is very important. An inexpensive shoe that perhaps doesn't give you the right support. Again, I would honestly go to one of the big, the better running shops and check it out. But if you don't have a pronation problem, in other words, your, your foot is pretty stable and you've got, a, a, you know, you, your, your, your step is pretty flat, then something like this UA Hover shoe, which is a very neutral um, shoe has got all the, the, the control, the flexibility to run properly, but the support to keep your, your ankles and your feet nice and stable, you know, no matter what the surface is. Obviously, as I said, it's not a trail running shoe and it's good enough for the average park run. The one that I do, the Delta park run is very rough in some cases with roots and gravel and you name it. It's all, all there, but generally I've been super, super impressed by the quality of the shoe. The, the ability to, to keep me, (laughs) and my phone is at it again. I tell you, these phones are quite something, but anyway, um, it's, it just in combination with the new Fitbit Inspire that I've been working with, with the, uh, map my run app. I've really improved my running over the last two months that I've been using the shoes quite considerably. And the information is easy to understand the, the technology, the sensors work pretty much flawlessly. As you open the app, it connects to the shoe. You can see exactly what you're doing. I've managed to change my cadence. I've looked at my stride. There are a couple of little sort of um, training guides and plans. You've got audio coaching as well, which helps. So really fascinating how technology can take a novice runner and really improve it. Because running, like everything, is a science. The better you are at it, the better you get the, the more you use the information, um, it really does make a difference. And you can use heart rate zones to understand when you should be pushing, when you should be cooling down. It's just absolutely amazing. And I must say the, the app itself, this Map My Run app, um, really does make things go a lot slicker and a lot simpler in that regard. What is also cool, you can challenge people, you can keep it social. So not only are you tracking your steps in the Fitbit app, you're tracking your runs against people in the um, in the in the map my run. The one other thing that I found quite useful, and again it depends how serious you are on this, they have got training runs. So you can plan your training in advance using the app. You've got a 5K plan, 10K plan, half marathon. If you really get serious, you can do a marathon. And then there's a custom. So you can set up whatever you want to set up. And it'll take you through it. It asks you, do you want an easy run, a tough run? And it'll also tell you, you know, what's going on. And I must say that 
I, I tried to get a lot better at running a while back, and I found a lot of the information confusing, a lot of the, the stuff that I tried to find out about it, and I, I wasn't keen to join a running club. So using something like Map My Run to help you grow your running ability, to help you stay fit and healthy, and obviously the better the quality of your shoe, the less chance you have for injury. That's what a lot of people don't seem to realize. They think a shoe is a shoe is a shoe. A shoe is not a shoe. A really well-built, well-sorted shoe, and it's well worth spending uh, an extra little bit of money on, on getting the right shoe and a good quality shoe can save you endless injury problems down the road, and that can cost a lot more in terms of time, discomfort, and just medical bills than spending a little bit up front on a really good quality shoe. The fact that the shoe is tech-connected and hooks up to all my various other gizmos and gadgets via my smart device, for me, being the, the gadget geek that I am, is an absolute win. But expect to see more and more of these type of things with activities, shoes, you name it going forward. There is already a range of clothing that can do a whole host of these things in a similar manner. So I think in many ways the the running sort of, the, you know, between Adidas, Nike, and uh, the guys at Under Armour, there's a, there's a huge amount of competition in this space. And I think you have to try a shoe yourself. You've got to really try it. And understand, that's why I say don't just go and buy one on my recommendation. Go to a good running shoe shop and see if this is the shoe for you. But I have been super impressed with the UA, the Under Armour UA Hover. Um, for the for the sort of amateur running that I do, I found it really worked well. It's kept me, for the couple of months that I've been using it, injury-free. And it's taught me to be a better runner, which is, I think, more than anything, the most important part of it. So in combination with my Fitbit Inspire HR uh, and um, my Under Armour UA Hover shoe and its built-in sensors and the, the Map My Run app, I've actually improved my time on the on the 5K and 10K enormously, and I've enjoyed it more. I've had less problems, less sore knees, you know, less uh, less injury. So it's been an interesting journey and uh, something that I'm going to continue doing, and I'll Obviously, stay in touch with the guys and see what other gizmos and gadgets they come up with to make me an even better amateur runner as we go on and to stay a little bit more healthy. So, again, if you're looking for a great um, activity tracker for everyday use, the Fitbit Inspire hits that sweet spot of functionality, all the options that you need along with its app and a heart rate monitor at a price that's reasonable. I don't say it's the cheapest on the market, but certainly good. And the UA Hover shoes with its built-in sensor uh, also um, are a really good, not inexpensive, but a well-priced, very functional piece of gear that I think can improve the average runner. Not a long-distance runner. I don't think it's designed for that. But certainly the average sort of weekend warrior with the midweek catch-up um, keep them safe and teach them how to be better runners. So, well, unfortunately, it seems that uh, I went on a bit about my gizmos and gadgets, and we've run out of time. So until next week, same place, same time, right here on High FM, this is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk.